Welcome to Pitmaster, an old Virginia Smoke podcast. I'm your host, Luke Darnell. This man hardly needs any introduction. He's been cooking barbecue his whole life, has won God knows how many world championships, and is a barbecue icon. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Myron Mixon. While you're enjoying this podcast, please share it out on your social media, and also be sure to like the podcast on the service of your choice. Every little bit helps. Thank you. Well, we are here today with the man. I've been looking forward to having this gentleman on the podcast for a long time. And I got to hang out with him recently at the Royal in Lynchburg, Tennessee. And I'm very blessed to be here with Mr. Myron Mixon today. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Just cooking barbecue and cooking contests and having a ball, man. Having a ball. Congrats on your second place brisket out there at the Jack. I tell you what, thank you very much. Uh, brisket is something that we've done pretty good with this year. We don't get to cook as many contests as I used to, but, I mean, the brisket seems to be in play just about every time we do get out there. So we've cooked uh, at that time. Well, even right now, we've cooked uh, four contests. And uh, we've taken first-place briskets and a second. So that ain't bad. No, that's real good, but not nearly as good as your record at Memphis in May. Congrats on another world championship. Thank you very much. That was uh, <laughs> that was a big course winning five of them at something. Teammate wasn't there. Won it last time before that in sixteen, and some of my guys black shirts. Some of them couldn't make sixteen, but they were there for this one. So that really made it special. That's good. That's good. I know you cook with a good friend of mine, Mr. Matt Greiner, and oh, yeah. uh, he's, a, he's a good dude. Well, let's get into these questions a little bit. You know, everybody knows knows you from television and, and your enormous success, but you had to get that confidence in cooking that had to start somewhere. Can you remember where that confidence comes from? Well, I mean, I started cooking with my dad. When I was nine years old, and uh, it wasn't that he was training me to be a barbecue pit master. He used me and my younger brother, Tracy. We would go fetch, get it, tote this, hold that, you know, fire the pits, that kind of thing. And, you know, when you're 9, 10, 12, getting, even in your teens, that ain't something you really want to learn how to do. But you wind up learning anyway. I mean, by repetition and by doing it. And uh, he cooked every week. Serve barbecue Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and you start it all over again the following Monday. You know, clean the pits, going and getting wood, splitting wood, getting meat, and getting ready. But uh, he's probably the one who gave me confidence, you know, being able, not many folks know my daddy, because I started competing after he passed away in 1996. He passed away in January, and I went to my first contest in June. So that's where the Jacksonville South comes from. My dad was Jack Mixon. He was a no-nonsense, pretty hard man. As I got better helping him, you know, my confidence level built because, you know, if you could please my daddy, you can please any damn body. So it started with him. But there again, also, when I went and did my first contest, I took what he taught me, which was basically old-school barbecuing, knowing meat when it was done, that type of thing. And I put some things, tried some things, and – in my first contest, it really 
helped me wind up taking two first place and a second, or third, excuse me, two first and a third at a Memphis May contest. And uh, back in the day, they had circuit. They had a circuit of Memphis May events. Doing that well in my first contest really boosted me. And that's when I started running. And that's what I was mentioning a while ago. I do four or five contests now. Back in the day, for about 15 years, I cooked like 45 contests a year. So uh, that was uh, staying on the road. Yeah, and I tell people all the time, if you want to if you want to learn about yourself and become a better cook, cook four weekends in a row. You know, cook cook 25, 30 contests in a season and you'll really you really dial your stuff in and figure out what you're made of. Well, it don't take long. You know, you got guys and back in the day, like I said, Memphis May had a circuit. There was like 50, 60 contests in the circuit. I was team of the year eight or nine years, and I ran for points. You know, and all that point running, you didn't wind up with nothing. The only thing you won was the prize money you, you won at those contests you attended. But you're right. You know, you decide uh, right quick whether you really love this or not. And it didn't take long, though. You have some folks, and you can watch it even today in KCBS. They'll run hard, two, three. You got some out four or five years. But after that, most of the time they're done. You know, it's just hard to sustain that kind of, you know, being on the road and stuff. And, you know, unless you're retired or you're independently wealthy or whatever, you just about can't afford to be out there and be away from your regular job if you have a regular job to run them kind of weekends. Right, because it, it, it quickly becomes a second full-time job. Has barbecue always been your career or did you have a career – outside of barbecue that that helped you get ready to be a pit master on the competition trail? I mean, I've, everything I've ever done has been with either my dad or myself. I've never worked for nobody other than him or me the whole period of time. Uh, we had the, where he had his takeout barbecue business. We had a convenience store that was tied on to it. And uh, he's either there or the barbecue or doing what I do now. Well, and that would explain why why you're so out in and know it so well, because it's just, you know, a lifetime of repetition and a lifetime of serving great food. That's that's pretty cool. That's a really good story. And, you know, it, one of the things that a lot of people on these podcasts like to talk about is successes and everything that we want and everything. One of the things I like to focus on is failures. Do you have a favorite failure of yours at a contest where that really taught you something and set you up for future success? Yeah, there was. Uh, you know, I've been competing in Memphis May since 1996. And, you know, every time, you know, you learn something all the time. In my early part of my career, probably the first 15 years, it was like when I was running all the time for points. I always sit out there with a the hog most of the time at night. Well, as I got, on up in and, and got older, got more team members, started designating some of this stuff off to where uh, some of the guys can stay out there at night. I could go in and get some rest or whatever for the next day because you do have on-site judging as well as, you know, doing your blind boxes. And probably 11, 12, maybe in 2013, somewhere around in there, one of the hogs we always could to at the championship, uh, wasn't up to par. And it was because, you know, certain things could have been caught, changed, and made it turn out great, but it wasn't. 
And a lot of that's because, you know, the, the ones at night didn't really want to do something like contacting me. Well, I'm in my room. That's hard to do. So from that point forward, I started staying back like I did, staying back out there, staying with it, you know, most of the night. Not all the night, but most of it until I knew I had the hog, what I call set, where I knew it was it, it was going to be what it was going to be, and it was where I wanted to be. And uh, it paid off. I mean, I kept getting back in my groove, what I always used to do. Paid off in 16, paid off again in 21. And uh, in 21, uh, Matt Griner, Ed Harris, Two of the black shirts, they were out there. They stayed all night, but I stayed there at about 2 to 3 o'clock in the morning. When I felt like it was set, I went to the room. And uh, it worked out. Won a world championship that way. So the point I'm making there, if you are the team captain, team leader, whatever about it, uh, there's some things you don't need to designate. Some things you need to – you know, if it's your team and you're responsible for the outcome of what happens, you need to be there to make those decisions. That was a lesson I had to relearn. Yeah, that's one that I think we've all learned. Uh, I, th- I can remember early in my career where we had a, a nighttime person watching the pit and she come woke me up one night and said, that backwards is a 350. I walked outside and looked at it. I said, did you come up here and look? She's like, no, I just looked at the guru. I think well, firebox with doors open, <laughs> and that was that was my learning lesson. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I said, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. You know, we gotta I gotta be more on top of this rather than sleeping. But yeah, that's that was a good one. That's Sam's Club Regional, actually. <laughs> well, I mean, that was a big event too, and I mean, I've never really had any uh, hiccups far as that a regular contest and when I say regular something is not as momentous as a world championship like Memphis or maybe the Royal something everything always goes as good as it possibly could go but it's just that one time and you know you sit there and you don't work hard and uh, everybody's worked hard on the team it ain't just me but you know that day you know from what you're looking at there with your product that you ain't got a snowball's chance in hell you know, but you just got to move on, you know, moved on and waited for the next year to come. We made the corrections. You mentioned on-site judging and uh, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but I actually learned how to do on-site judging by watching you in Galax one year. Awesome. It's a good yeah. contest. Great, great little contest. And uh, I remember I didn't have anything going on when you guys were we're doing on site and I come over and watched and I was like, wow, I, that's how you do that. And then, uh, we did the on site in DC, uh, the next year. And, uh, I took a lot of what I learned there and, and turned that into success. So <laughs> it, it's an art form. It really is. Well, the thing about it is, you know, I hear a lot of people that never has done it, especially a lot of KCBS guys and gals. You know, uh, they call it a dog and pony show. But the thing about it is what you're doing, you're telling a story. You're telling the story and you got 15 minutes to do it. You're telling the story to that judge, how you know, how that product came from a raw state to being a finished product that they're sampling right now. And you get to tell them everything you want to tell them, whether it's about the, the breed of the hog that you're doing, down to the wood you chose, the length of time, the pit temp, 
the internal temps you cook each section to if you're doing a whole hog. Did you baste it? Did you inject it? Did you, you know, whatever you did to it, you get a time to tell its story. And, you know, they always say, well, it's, you know, whoever can tell the best tale wins. Well, that ain't true either. You know, it's weighted. 40% of your score comes from on site. 60% comes from the blind. So you still got to have a great box going into the blind area before you can even have a shot at being able to get in there with your own site. Right. You got to have, you got to have a great box of food and you got to have a great story. That's right. You got to have the package. And, uh, me personally, if I was judging an event, I'd want to judge on site. I'd want to hear the story. You know, I, you know, KCBS, everybody has to go back there at the table and you're sitting there looking at six entries and you're judging all blind. But if I ever had the opportunity to do a Memphis style contest, put me down for wanting to do on site. That would be the fun to hear the story and to eat the food from the cook that prepared it. Oh, absolutely. And to get that, get that opportunity to impress the judge. That's what I enjoyed about it. You know, showing your knowledge and, and showing, showing your skill and being able to present that to somebody. We don't, you know, especially in the KCBS world, we don't get the opportunity to do that very often. It's like you do, you're putting on your own little demo for those groups of on-site judges. That's what you're doing. Yep. Yep, that was I, I I always will will cherish that experience. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, you've been doing barbecue your whole life. And but what's the most surprising thing to come out of competition barbecue for you? When I started competing in nineteen ninety six and I was blessed and lucky. I mean, I I won a lot. I was averaging winning fifteen contests or more a year. Did that for a lot of years. And uh, I knew as good as I got at it, and I worked at it. I took it like a job. I mean, I went and cooked all the contests to pay the most money because I was using it to make a living. Back then, I tell people today, from the 90s on through the early teens, 2000s, teens, prize money then was a lot better on average than it is now. I mean, you got a couple out there that pay some big bucks. You got the food championships. Of course, hundred grand, whatever that does. You got the world championship, which is like forty-five thousand if you win it all. But back in the day, you had grand championships then, twenty-five hundred, five thousand dollars, and they was paying in cash. They weren't making you do your tax form and all this kind of stuff. And that was a lot of contests for that. And today, you don't have. I mean, most of them are twenty-five hundred bucks. You know, grand champions. And I'm just saying, back then you had a lot more money in it average contest than you do today. Yeah. And the thing is what I got from it was uh, getting back to that. I knew as much as I was winning and again, lucky and blessed to be able to do it. I said, there was an end game to this. There's something that I'm going to be able to do with this. And I didn't know what it was. I mean, but I, that's when I started wanting to develop my brand far as, and when I say develop it, that's when I started wanting to, uh, the team all to dress one color. You know, I went mm-hmm. through a lot of colors. I went through red khaki. I went through even white shirts, all this kind of stuff. We sailed on black because the simple fact was black didn't show grease. And when you're around <laughs> a smoker, when you're around a smoker, I don't clean, care how clean you keep it and how you got it, especially doing whole hogs and stuff. 
you're going to put rub up against it and you're going to get grease on you. If you've got anything that's tacky or white or red, it's going to show that black grease. So I went to all black team. I had them go all black. And uh, that's kind of a brand build. You know, that's kind of what you're going about and pushing forward. But the first big thing I got was being on the barbecue all-stars, which was a precursor to the barbecue pit masters. Yep. Do you remember that? It came I out do. in uh, 06, 07. Yep. Uh, it was on the versus channel where they did the rodeos and did the, I had all the hockey games at the time it was done on versus. And I got the call simply for the fact they'd done some research and found out that, you know, I won a lot of contests in the Memphis and May genre and some KCBS, but I wasn't cooking a lot of KCBS back then. And that winning got me that call to be on TV. And being on TV on down the road through Pitmasters and other shows has really been the train that pulled everything along. Right. Now you've built a brand with smokers and sauces and rubs and cookbooks and all kinds of stuff. And but it's well, all gotta it's start somewhere. The restaurants. Yep. Yeah, and that's where it started. And I tell everybody I was at the right place at the right time as far as barbecue shows coming, because that was the I guess the infancy of it. And I was in my stride. You know, I was doing the 45 contest a year. You know, I was banging it out every weekend and I was right. You know, I was in my prime. I mean, and to be in your prime, you got to go. You got to be in the road to go. Yep. And I, I'm not going to say you can't cook as good as you used to could, but you're not on your every mark. You're not doing everything you were doing uh, at the right times. I don't care who it is, me or anybody else. It's a lot of difference doing four or five than when you were doing 45. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd agree with that 100%. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about gear. <laughs> and these questions I've been dying to ask you because, you know, you're Myron Mixon and I really want to know. <laughs> oh, what I ask. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments that you've ever made in competition barbecue? I can tell you what it would be. Some it doesn't cost, but about 12 bucks. <laughs> What I mean, is of course, water cookers. I mean, I've cooked a water cooker since day one in contest. So water cookers yeah. is something that I've always done. But something I found out, the way I process my meats, ribs, pork butts, even briskets, is those meat racks. I don't know if you ever see me use them, but uh -huh. I started using those meat racks in 1996, not long after I started competing. And... That was a game changer for me as far as being able to turn out the type of product I wanted to turn out. For the simple fact is, and I still teach you today in my classes, those racks have got handles. And instead of wrapping, I like to pan the meat. But I always uh -huh. put the handles down in the bottom of the pan. That way it elevates it off the bottom. If I want to add some apple juice or whatever in there before I set my pork butts or my pork shoulders or my ribs, it keeps them elevated above the juice and doesn't allow it to sit down in the juice. You know, if I got bark on the bottom of that pork butt or I got bark or crust on the bottom of that rib, it still starts that steaming process when you cover it because there's liquid in the pan, but 
it doesn't soften up your bark. It doesn't soften up your crust or rinse right. it off. Right. And that was probably the biggest game changer for me that I started with in 1996. And I'm still using them today in 2021. 12 bucks. 12 bucks. <laughs> and guess where you can buy them at now? From myremixing.com. <laughs> Now, do you uh, use a lot of technology in your cook? Are you a barbecue guru person or use any of that kind of stuff? The only technology that I use is when I'm cooking with our gravity hog cookers. Uh And uh, we we just came out with those um, really this year. Really last year, we were working with the prototypes. And they have their own proprietary fan system, 75 CFM fans. The Gravity Hogs, 72-inch, you can get one that's 60-inch. Matter of fact, that's what we won the world championship on this year. I had two brand-new ones mounted on my trailer, never been cooked on until I got to the world championship. But they got proprietary fan systems, but you can use the uh, Guru controllers. And that's the closest I come to technology. I don't even use the meat probe. I don't put a probe in it because I like taking my thermopin, opening the door, checking it. I've had uh, folks talk about those wires or leads get bent or kinked and all that kind of stuff and give you a false reading in there as far as what the internals are. And uh, so when it gets close to where I feel like I need to start checking it, I'll use my thermopin. I don't depend on the, the reading coming off of the probe that goes to the guru. Now, I do let the temperature, you got to let the temp uh, controller have the probe or the yeah, the lead working on it, but I don't, I don't fool with the meat temp. Yeah, yeah, no, and and there's and also opening up and sticking the thermopad in it that also lets you use your other senses as well to check on that meat. Well, I tell people all the time when I'm teaching, you know, brisket. I teach briskets is you know they're done at two o five at the point, but sometimes it's done at two o two at the point. Well, sometimes it's done at 207 at the point because it's the way it slides. It's got to slide like butter before it's done. Yeah. And that sometimes that happens early. Sometimes it happens later. Yeah. I tell, I tell people all the time, every animal is like every person. They're all different. They ain't all going to cook the same. Yep. Exactly right. That's awesome. 12 bucks. 12 bucks. <laughs> See, you stole my thunder on my next question, which which, which is what, what purchase under $100 has most impacted your barbecue life, but you got me already. That, that one right there. <laughs> Amen. And I can tell you what, uh, another item that uh, I didn't really cook with it until I got to doing a lot more KCBS. But my first KCBS events I did, we done really well. I mean, we won several of them when we started uh, cooking more KCBS, but I didn't really use a meat thermometer. I didn't use one when I was cooking hogs, and my dad didn't use them. He didn't use a meat thermometer. He didn't have a gauge on his pits, but they're like shovel coal pits. He used his hands on the tin. He could yeah. do a tin count. It was time to fire. And he could tell when meat was done by the way he could feel it, and that's what I did. If I could take a shoulder, and you had to cook whole shoulders in Memphis and make contests. If I could take that shank bone and I could twist it and I could feel the blade bone peeling away, it was done. I didn't need to check the money muscles. I mean, we didn't need to, you know, do all that stuff with the thermometer. I knew by feeling it. Yeah. But as I got to doing more KCBS, 
I wanted to make sure, and things got more precise because people were going to schools and people were reading cookbooks and people were getting on the internet and figuring the stuff out and making the competition tougher and tougher. Then you got to get more precise. You got to make sure your chicken's at, you know, at least above 180 on dark meat and above 160 on white meat if you use one, you know, white meat. You got to make sure those money muscles are whatever temp you like to pull your money muscles at. And because everybody else is doing it. But, you know, back in the day, it was more about me being able to feel it the way my dad taught me, which served me well, you know, when everybody else is just trying to figure it all out. But uh, the meat thermometer is probably those two things. A dang meat thermometer. Everybody says, well, that's damn ridiculous. A meat thermometer. I tell people this every day, <laughs> especially in my classes. Always cook with your meat thermometer because every protein you put on your grill or smoker, there is a uh, designated internal temp when it is done. And if you will follow that, you'll never undercook or overcook that piece of meat. Never. If you'll go by that meat thermometer. Yep. Because I get asked every holiday, well, it's the 4th <laughs> of July, Labor Day, or what are you going to do for Thanksgiving? You'll always have some magazine or something calls and ask me, you know, give us that silver bullet. Give us that, you know, the wonder thing that's going to just make the, I say, always cook with your damn uh, meat thermometer. Always. And they like, yeah. it's a letdown. They, they expecting you to tell them <laughs> this particular killer spice that got shipped in here from India that's going to make every piece of meat you ever put in your mouth great. No, I mean, you got to figure that out on your own. You got to, you know, there's enough rubs and stuff out here. You can go through them all and pick out what you like there, but you can't worry about tasting the meat until you get the meat properly done. Cook, we meat the mom, period. Yep. And it's a, it's a tenderness game. And that's, you know, that's, that's something that I've learned and really concentrated on throughout the past couple of years, especially in, you know, using that probe, not only for the number, but also the feel of it. Like you said, butter, it's got to feel great. Let's talk about some people. Oh, <laughs> All right. If I can, without pissing them off, I will. <laughs> no, it ain't questions like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, one will be interesting. but So who does Myron Mixon call when he has a barbecue issue with a meat? Who do I call? Yeah. If you're got a problem with the meat, who who do you call for advice? Well, let me tell you what. Up until recently, I ain't had anybody I could call. Now, Pat Burke, I could call all day long about a hog or some issue like that if I wanted to, but I really ain't never discussed that with him because most of the time I ain't never had no issues with hogs and stuff like that. Pat Burke was the guy to beat Tower Rock Barbecue and Apple City. Everybody knows yep. him as as the uh, partner with Mike Mills and that. But probably more recently, probably Matt Griner. Yeah. Matt and, well, I mean, I'm talking about in competition now. Sure. I mean, I don't and, – and the reason I say that is Matt, I mean, he doesn't do the 45 contest back in the day like I was, but he does, cooks a lot down more than I. He's cooking his weekend. And Matt's really in tune with what's going on. And the way this game is played so much today is you got to have friends that will keep you in the loop on what's working and what's people doing. 
well, you can go and bet this. They don't, nobody ever talked to Myron to tell Myron what's going on. <laughs> Me and two. So, so, uh, Matt's kind of like my, uh, he's my undercover spy. He'll go out there. Probably everybody hear this and won't tell Matt nothing else from now on. <laughs> but Matt's, uh, Matt's an awesome cook. And oh, uh, yeah. he and I, well, he and I bounce, especially, uh, like I say, recently since he's on our Mara Mix and Smoker Protein. Uh, we done become uh, best fast friends. He's a member of our world championship Jackson South team. And we bounce ideas and stuff off each other, uh, flavor profiles. We're constantly working on stuff. I work on stuff and sending the recipes and he'll try them and uh, vice versa. And, uh, you know, it's been fun playing with Matt. I mean, he's been, it's been great, really, truly. And I tell people this all the time, uh, he fit right in with the black shirts, Jackson South group. You know, he just fit like a glove. Oh, and I've, I've had my butt kicked enough times by Matt Griner to know that he definitely knows, knows what's going on. <laughs> he does. He for sure does. But I, I just hope I ain't done, uh, done, uh, met, uh kick the pooch right here with anybody that might have been helping him a little bit. I ain't telling you nothing else if you're telling Myron. <laughs> So when you hear the word successful in terms of barbecue, who's the first person that comes to mind? A barbecue? Yeah. Me. <laughs> As a loaded question. That was a loaded question. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to tell you something. And, 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 and I'm, I've been blessed. By, I mean, God looked out the fire. And I was blessed to have the dad I had. As tough as he was, he put me on this path. I didn't want to be on this path when I was, you know, a teenager. Do you think I wanted to learn how to do this? <laughs> no, I'd rather been doing something else. But I thank my daddy every day. He died when he was 56 years old, 1996 in January. And that's young. When you start, hell, I'm past 56 now. A lot of folks I know that compete a lot are looking at 56. And oh, yeah. I was blessed. And I know that, but I have seen a lot of people get into this game with all these visions of grandeur. And I went to an MBBQA. Uh, they asked me to come speak. The last one I went to out in Kansas City, I had to fly in. I think it might have been 19. It was 19. I flew in and, and made a speech to the group, like a roundtable thing. And then I had to fly out and I was doing a, a big uh, – demo thing for a finance group in Canada. I was gone for seven days up there. But they wanted me to come in and I said, well, I tell you what, I said, I'm going to go in there and uh, I want to talk what I want to talk about. I said, because I've been in those groups before and I said, certain people that's big and involved in the BBQA paints this damn road of, road of glory and gold to all these people about you know, you win a few trophies and jump in there and get your sauce made and get your rub made, blah, 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 blah. And you're going to be rich and famous. And that ain't the way that works. That ain't the way that works. And, yeah. and I'm not sitting here busting anybody's dream in bubbles. I'm all behind. Chase your dreams and work them hard. But don't think it's going to be easy as some of this bunch is telling you. And it ain't. It ain't no. that easy. You got to put it in. And everybody, I hear this more often than not. Again, I know I'm blessed. 
I'm the luckiest joker to ever been alive. And I told you all ago, I happened to be at the right place at the right time when that TV came along. I was in my stride, you know, and that just happened to be me. It could have been anybody else. But I can tell you this. If you don't sit and put in the effort, and put in the work, you're not going to have it. And it ain't going to just come to you. And I hear it all the time. Well, I want what you got now, Myron. Well, guess what? I started this in 1996. Well, really, I started when I was nine years old with my right. dad cooking. And now you want it all right now that I've been working my ass off for over 25 plus years, longer. You know, it don't happen that way. Nope. And uh, and I really haven't started. I really didn't get the benefit from it and really making a living at it, which you will call a good living, until maybe the last 10 or 12 years. And even the last five has been better than any of them. And, and, you know, I'm 59 years old. And you got folks in their damn 30s wanting what I got now. <laughs> Sounds like my chilling, waiting for me to die so they can have it all. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that whole generation is a little bit different. You know, everybody wants and to yeah, be a CEO. <laughs> but, I, but, but that's right. That's right. But, I mean, I'm telling you, getting your sauces and rubs and all these things, you know, and I put it out there to them right then because the one that spoke before me was talking about Walmart this. And, you know, I ain't knocking Walmart a bit. But for me, my business plan didn't involve Walmart. I don't want my stuff in a Walmart. I don't want it in those type stores. I think it demeans the brand that I've tried to build so hard. You know, I'm big on boutique stores like your barbecue stores, and sauce and rub stores. Uh, we're in Ace Hardware, no Ace Hardware now, which all of those stores are owned by independent franchisees. They're not corporate. You right. know what I'm saying? They're independents. That's what I like. I like an independent business person. I like for them to support me and I support them back. You know, when you go into Walmart and you see your stuff sitting in there on their shelves, there's a thousand other bottles you just put your stuff right in there with. Yep. A thousand other bottles. And it's something hard. you might have thought was really special, now you just blend it in. Right. And that's and hard it, for people every, to see. And every bit of it, yeah, it's every bit of it's less than four bucks a bottle. What's special about that? You're right there next door to crap. <laughs> see what I'm saying? It, it, life is all about choices. And what you want your brand to be, it do, you got to make that decision. But for me, yep. that wasn't it. But everybody thinks, man, if I can get in Walmart, I, I've arrived. Well, the point of it is, and you know it like I know it, this is fact. This ain't made up. I know a lot of them. It's done went in there and they bankrupted themselves trying to do what Walmart required them to do. You know a bunch of them do. Yep. That 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 path to Walmart ain't lined with gold. It's lined with pennies. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right, because that's what you got left after you go and tool up and invest to be able to get all that stuff made for them. And then one day they call and say, you know what? We don't want it anymore. Buy it all back. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yep. Exactly right. But anyway, but that's the thing. I mean, you, you've got to get in and put in the work. No, it be realistic about what's going to happen you know, and what you're going to be able to do, what you're going to be able to get accomplished. You know, everybody also, I was one of them. 2001, you couldn't tell me nothing. I just won my first world championship, and I had to have my own little restaurant in my hometown, which wasn't very big, 1,500 people, 2,000 people. 
So it wasn't a big investment, but I just had to have my own restaurant, you know, and that right there in a small town, all you're doing is swapping money. You're never going to make any money. You got to have warm bodies right. to be able to do any type of business. And what I mean, warm bodies, you got to have a population. You got to have demographic studies and all this kind of stuff to make sure you got enough people to sustain whatever business you're opening up. Well, I didn't know all that back in 2001. <laughs> I was doing like most of the folks now. Man, I don't want a damn trophy. I want a world championship trophy. I ought to get rich right quick. Wrong. That's not how it works. <laughs> no, it ain't how it works. No, it ain't how it works. But you can't tell some people like this, if I preach that hard enough, Myron just don't want me to do it because he knows my stuff better than he is. You know, there's a lot of room out there for everybody to have a piece of it. But yep. if you think Myron's worried about what you're doing, I'm just trying to tell you what not to do. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like we've we might have to do a part two of this at some point because I got through like <laughs> half half my questions. But the ones that I want to hit you with uh, as we wrap up here are my rapid fire questions, which I think I, I just think they're a lot of fun. So I'm gonna I'm gonna fire them out. All right. What do you see about barbecue on social media that upsets or bothers you? What do I see on social media that upsets me and bothers me? About barbecue. About barbecue. It bothers me when people in social media come up with these ridiculous recipes. Uh, (laughs) People ask me all the time, why don't I get on there? And and I do a Facebook. I'm doing one next week, matter of fact. Uh, Facebook Live on chicken. Something new I've come up with that we're using in comps right now. And I like to do Facebook Live. And we're looking at a YouTube channel where we're going to do some realistic dang recipes that actually work in our recipes. You know, I'm looking on there and I ain't calling no names and I ain't want to hurt nobody's feelings, but bacon wrapped fried pickles, give me a damn break. <laughs> I, I mean, how is that a recipe? You know, they've been frying pickles. Everybody's wanting to wrap bacon around something. Now we're smoking cream cheese. Lord God. I mean, I 100% agree with you. You're the first person to say it, though. Oh, bullshit. Myron Nixon, don't go. When I give you a recipe, we're getting down. We're going to do a brisket recipe. That takes me four hours to prep it, cook it, and all this kind of stuff. We're doing something real deal. And the point I'm making is why I haven't already done a YouTube channel is in my mind, in the way I operate, in the way I was taught by my dad, was you got your basic meats, that's barbecue. You know, getting over here and doing this other junk you're trying to do, that ain't, you're doing side items or you're doing, you know, bacon wrap, whatever, everything's wrapping in bacon now. And and we talked about the smoke and the cream cheese. Those ain't (laughs) barbecue related things in my book. I mean, I know I'll be getting a bunch of them from, and I ain't calling them names. I like to do it right then, but I didn't. But, That ain't barbecue to me. Uh, it just ain't. And no. and that's why you don't see Myron having something all the time. When I got something to tell you, I'm going to show it to you. I got a new recipe we did for brisket. I gave a little teaser to it before we went to the jack and stuff. And uh, I'm going to follow back up with it later on by the end of the year. And we may even do a, a whole hog where I shovel the coals and stuff out here. But that's the type of stuff that I want to do. 
that I yeah. do. You ain't gonna see Marvin taking a piece of damn bacon and wrapping it around a uh, jalapeno pepper and stuffing it with green cheese. <laughs> ain't happening. I know how to do it, but my God, I mean, don't everybody else know how to do that when having somebody show it to you? <laughs> I agree. I, I saw somebody like. Let me go ahead and ask you this question. I'm firing one off of you. Okay. Social media people, you think I'm gonna piss off with them comments? Oh, a select few, but they probably need it. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. How many uh-huh. people I piss off do you think I care? Zero. <laughs> Amen. Oh, man, that was a great answer. <laughs> do you have a favorite pre, during, or post-competition meal? Do I have a post-competition meal that I like to eat? Yeah. Not really. I, no, not really. Not really. Now, back in the day, this ain't got nothing to do with cooking, but before I used to play basketball, I played all the way through my high school. Loved it. Loved basketball. I always used to eat fried chicken before every game. Okay. But never did get into anything like that with uh, barbecue. No. Gotcha. Johnny Trigg likes basketball, too. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, I yeah. used to eat and breathe it like I did cooking. I mean, I loved it. That's awesome. Do you have a favorite present that you like to give to people? Favorite present? I like to give briskets when I that's what I do down here with folks that's close to me and stuff. I'll cook a brisket. And that's because you gotta think where I'm at, South Georgia. Yeah. And when you talk about Georgia back in the day, it's like like Carolina, same type sauce stuff. But I'm everything today is all mixed and matched. So everybody's got everything now. But people down here still in rural southern Georgia, pork is is still what you call when you do barbecue. Yeah. They, they really love it when you give them a brisket, especially at Snake River Wagyu. Because <laughs> then they're My like... I'm sitting over here listening to me and I forgot this, but I did forget it, but I didn't want to say it because I figured she got on to me. I used to when I first started competing. Uh-huh. I wore the same drawers. They were blue with gold stripes. <laughs> <laughs> on game day, on, on, on Saturdays, when I went and got a quick shower that morning coming out to do the on-site judging stuff, I had to have my blue and gold drawers. You know what? It's a popular thing on this podcast is underwear. It is a <laughs> it's a big deal. I uh, well, I'm telling you this. I had a I had a rabbit's foot and had a buckeye kept in my pocket all the time. I got two buckeye trees out here in my yard. Uh-huh. I used to have them. I gave Tuffy Stone some buckeyes off that tree. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, underwear is kind of my thing. I have like four or five pair that. I'll break out for certain situations and it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's fun. Um, here's a good one. One of my, one of my favorite rapid fires. What, and I know I have an answer to this. What do you think are the biggest misconceptions about you? That I mean as hell. That's what I tell people all the time, man. <laughs> and I know I get I get excited sometimes, and I, you know, and and I can be. Everybody can be. Everybody can be tough and be mean, and and maybe I get more excitable quicker than some others. But uh, I'm not like people are amazed when they come up to me. Well, you ain't that sob like you are on TV. I said, no, ma'am. Well, no, sir, I ain't. <laughs> it's the number one question I get from family members back in West Virginia when they find out that that I know you and 
Oh, is he, <laughs> is he super mean? I'm like, he's the nicest guy, one of the nicest guys out there. And, you know, that, that's all television. And <laughs> it, it is, but sometimes people get caught up in honesty being being mean. And, and uh, you know, I don't dang tell and get on nobody's rear end with stuff just to be mean to them. If they right. ask a question and I'll tell the truth or what I think is the truth and what I feel about it. Uh, that's one reason why I don't go to barbecue restaurants. Never do. Everybody always asks me, you know, <laughs> what is your favorite place to go in KC or Memphis or whatever? I don't go. I mean, I don't go. And, uh, I mean, I get tired of eating barbecue. I get tired of eating mine. And fried chicken is my deal. I love fried chicken. And uh, I'll go find a place that serves great fried chicken. But yep. if you go in a restaurant, and anybody's ever watched Pitmasters, which I love them for watching it. I appreciate everybody that's ever watched it. And uh, if you happen to got a, a Pitmaster in the back, you order a barbecue sandwich. Well, they're going to wind up bringing you everything out there that they do. And they're going to want you to sample some of everything. Not every time, but a lot of times it's happened to me. And then they stand around and watch you eat. And uh, <laughs> this comes one of the times where I wouldn't, I mean, if it did, wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be, you think I'm going to tell them that? No. I'm not going to be ugly to them and be mean to them. But it's just best for me not. Or they want me to go out and stand in front of their sign and say that I've been to their restaurant, which I understand that. But, you know, I got restaurants of my own now, and I don't need to be promoting somebody else's. Right. <laughs> so I just don't go. I go eat Italian. I go eat fried chicken. Go eat a good steak or do something like that. Absolutely. Well, Myron, I can't thank you enough uh, for your time. And maybe here down the road, we can hit the rest of these questions. But I just want to thank you for being on and thank you for everything that you've done for, for barbecue. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, brother. And I'm going to leave one thing with you. Okay. Always tell it like you see it. The truth is as you see it, because there ain't nobody going to care 100 years from now. More than likely, they ain't going to care Monday. <laughs> so. You might as well tell it like you see it. Tell it like you see it. That that was the one question I didn't ask. If you could put a message on a billboard, what would it be? Tell it like you see it. I like it. Yep, because there ain't nobody going to care 100 years from now. <laughs> All right, Myron. Well, thank you very much for your time, bud. I appreciate it. All right, big guy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Pitmaster, an old Virginia Smoke podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like the podcast, rate the podcast, and share it out with all your friends. Also, be sure to check out the old Virginia Smoke YouTube channel as well. We will have another episode for you next week. For companies interested in advertising, please contact Old Virginia Smoke directly via www.oldvirginiasmoke.com. Pitmaster, an old Virginia Smoke podcast, is edited by Chris Sedenka. Pitmaster, an old Virginia Smoke podcast, is a property of Old Virginia Smoke LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2021. Yes, old Virginia Smoke.